Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. It's great to be with you this morning um, in Emmanuel. Um, as Tash said, I've been in Shankill now for about 18 months. And uh, when I arrived in June 2017, quite a few people said, oh, it must be nice to be home. Um, some of you might know a little bit about me. Um, my late father was also a Church of Ireland minister, and for a number of years he was rector uh, down in Ardmore. Um, and uh, during that time, I was in my teens, and uh, I went to Lurgan College, then went off and trained as a primary school teacher. But during that time, um, I made some connections, which in a sense have come full circle. Um, I, I probably reacted a little bit um, negatively when people said, oh, what's it like to come home? Because uh, I hope you'll forgive me for this, but I regard myself uh, as a Belfast man. That's home. Um, but in another sense, this has been like coming home because spiritually, a lot of, not most of my roots are in this part of the world. I grew up in a Christian home, but I came to faith at the age of 15 through the Scripture Union in the college. And uh, along with my sister, my older sister, two older sisters, and and, and along with Pauline, who's two years older than me, we found um, a kind of a real spiritual connection in Alan and Jerry's home uh, down on the Loch Shore, which was quite close to where we were living. And they used to run uh, a youth group, would probably call it a youth cell, uh, these days, but uh, just a gang of young people used to meet in their house. Uh, I used to eat most of their cornflakes, which Alan reminds me of every time I see him. Um, but uh, we used to meet there every Friday night, and I have to say that for me, uh, a lot of my early uh, discipleship and my early kind of roots as a Christian uh, were really dug and, and established in those days. So I'm really thankful for that. And in a sense, that kind of increases the sense of, of just really real joy of being here this morning uh, with you and Emmanuel. Uh, also, I've got to know Phil and Dave and Tash over the last few years through uh, being involved with New Wine and also a little bit with 24-7 prayer when we did our year of prayer in the diocese. So, it's great, great to be with you. If you have a Bible, uh, I want to read from Isaiah chapter 6. Some of us will be very familiar with these words. And um, it's really, it's lovely sometimes how the Lord um, weaves things together. I had no idea um, before I came this morning um, what the song choice would be. I had no input into that. Um, and even as, as, as Tash was kind of praying and, and, and putting together a lot of the strands of our time of worship, just that sense of a vision of God and a fresh vision of God was very prevalent. Um, and that's very much at the heart of the verses I want to read. So, Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. 
At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I'm reading from the NIV. The King James has a beautiful word for that. It says, I am undone. Woe to me, I cried, I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched you, has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. This first uh, photograph, hopefully it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, if you're, a, if you're um, uh, a sports fan uh, in general, if you're a football fan uh, particularly, and specifically if you're a Liverpool fan, which I am, um, you'll recognize the photograph. That's um, Liverpool's, I'll call him former uh, goalkeeper because he's out on loan now, Loris Karius. Uh, and this is him at the end of the Champions League final last May, I think it was the 26th of May, uh, in Kiev in Ukraine. And if you don't know the story, you would think he was simply waving to the fans. But there's a bit more to it than that. Liverpool lost that game 3-1. And two of the goals that their opponents, Real Madrid, scored were as a direct result of Loris Karius's mistakes. And in front of 70,000 football fans and probably hundreds of millions of fans watching on television, this guy was completely undone. He was completely undone. What do I mean by that? Well, the word undone is an adjective. It describes uh, a state. It describes a, a kind of um, moment in our lives. And, and the dictionary describes it like this. To be undone is to be brought to destruction or to be brought to ruin. Reputationally, Loris Carius was ruined, was destroyed in front of a, a, a global audience and 70,000 people in the stadium. I felt really sorry for him. As a Liverpool fan, I was devastated, but I felt very sorry for him. He's now playing somewhere in Turkey, and good luck to him. I hope we never see him back in a Liverpool shirt again. But he was undone. He was ruined. He was destroyed. I said a moment ago, um, just about that sense of, of, of connection, that sense of, of almost serendipity, if you like, um, of, of our worship and what the Lord had put in my heart to share with you this morning, this idea of a vision of who God is. And so, Isaiah tells the, the story. He recounts the vision. He testifies to what he's seen. 
He talks about in the year that King Uzziah died, somewhere around 740 BC. He's in the temple, he's in church, and he has this undoing vision of who God is. In these moments, heaven and earth meet as one. He has a remarkable vision of the holiness and the magnitude of God. It's really interesting because at that time, Israel was pretty prosperous. They kind of thought that they had everything that they needed, and their view of God was diminished. Now, we can't, of course, say that everything in the UK at the moment is hunky-dory. It's anything but. But yet, materially, and I think the Brexit kind of debacle reflects this a little bit, because we kind of think that we are the masters of our own destiny. We kind of think that we have all that we need as a nation and as a society in, in the West. But our view of God has so, so diminished. Our view of God has either shrunk I'm talking generally now, I'm not talking specifically necessarily about us as individuals, but societally, our view of who God is has shrunk or almost disappeared. The people of Israel were secure in their rituals. Now, people might look at the kind of denomination that I'm uh, part of or other more traditional churches and think, well, those guys are secure in their rituals, but, you know, we need to realize we can all be secure in our own little rituals, whatever they may be. We can also be secure in our patterns of sinfulness. And again, corporately, that's something that we need to be aware of. But that was the kind of background, if you like, in the the world of Isaiah's day, an increasingly secularized world, an increasingly godless world, and not unlike the world that we live in, in 2019. So, Isaiah has a vision. We read about it in these first four verses. He encounters the glory of God, the manifest presence of God. He sees it. He sees smoke fills the temple. He sees these heavenly creatures, these seraphim, strange with, with wings and feet and, and eyes like no creature he had ever clapped eyes on before. I couldn't help thinking as I was kind of reflecting on the passage and preparing for this morning, you know, I don't know about here in Emmanuel, but probably in Shankill, if Shankill was filled with smoke, we would evacuate the building. In fact, we did just, some of you know, we had a Christmas tree festival there just before, uh, before Christmas, indeed, Emmanuel. Uh, had, a, had a tree and a display in it, which was great. Um, but on, the, on the, the Monday before, when we were starting to get the building ready, we actually did have to get the fire brigade out because one of our floodlights uh, suddenly decided to spontaneously combust. But that's another story. But there was a bit of smoke and a, a little bit of smoke. Shankill Parish Church wasn't filled with smoke, but there was a little bit of smoke we called the fire brigade. I wonder if this house was filled with smoke this morning, what we would do. We're kind of so secular and so material that we mightn't immediately think 
that it's the presence of God. And we might think, well, we can't see the presence of God in that way. We don't get a vision of God in the same way. And I have to say, I've, I've never really met anyone who has had a physical vision of God. But I have to say, when we look around us, when we look around uh, the people that God has gifted us with in our church families, when we look around us and see the, the, the wonderful transformation that God is bringing about in the lives of so many people, and I know some of, some of the wonderful work that you guys are doing here in the community in Lurgan and indeed in the wider community of Craigavon, we see something of the glory of God in the transformation that He chooses to bring in the lives of those around us. So, let's, let's be alert to that. But it's also felt the house shakes and the presence of God is felt. And I just love to, you know, there's something beautiful about the family of God. You know, I was, I was actually here three, three weeks ago. Um, I had a Sunday off and I snuck in at the back with Joanne and Lydia and snuck out again at the end. Didn't want to be seen, you know, in case word got back. Um, <laughs> but it was lovely on that occasion and it was lovely here this morning to be here in a very different context, to be sitting right at the front, you know, that's, that's the, in the Holy of Holies, um, to be sitting right at the front and, and in a different context, to be standing here before you and, and preaching this morning, which is a lovely privilege, but just to have that sense of connection, that sense of, you know, we're with God's people, we, we, you know, we're from different, different church traditions, and, um, you know, we have, a, we have a variety of worship in Shankill, as some of you may know, and different styles of services, but it probably looks and feels a wee bit different to Emmanuel, certainly in the church, maybe not so much down in Jethro, but uh, just that sense, that sense of connection, that sense of family, but also that sense of God's presence. It's the first thing I look for when I go into any other church. I don't care where it is, whether the building's empty or whether the people of God in that place gather for worship. The first thing that I'm looking for, the first thing that my um, antenna is up for, is a sense of the presence of God. And we can feel it. And it's in this place. Thank the Lord for it. And we can hear it. The angels were singing, holy, holy, holy. Amazing words, and we'll touch on those again in a moment. But you know, this morning we, we can we can experience the presence of God in what we hear. I was lovely at the front just to get that sense of, of worship coming from behind. It doesn't always happen. We need to be careful that you know, we're not kind of just observing or passively engaging with or not engaging with or indeed being entertained by the guys at the front. And that goes for any tradition, I suppose. But that sense of, of, of the, the presence of God it might sound a bit strange to say this, but we can hear it in the worship of God's people, in the song of heaven. Um, just reflecting on, you know, one of the things that's very different in our, two, in our two kind of church experiences is the way we do communion. But that's, that's a good thing because otherwise you can get, kind of get locked in to one particular way. But there's one point in our communion service, if we do it in a more traditional way, where we, we reflect on those words where we talk about how with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we praise and magnify your glorious name forever saying, singing and saying, holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord God Almighty. When we sing this morning, we are joining with heaven. We're not doing God a favor. We are joining with heaven. So Isaiah has a vision. From that vision, he has a stark realization. Let me read verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, the NIV says, the King James Version. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah was articulating something that I guess all of us uh, either do realize or need to come to a place of realization that we're unclean, and yet we have that. It's, it's almost like a, a contradiction. We, we come in with all our, our brokenness and all our sinfulness uh, and all our uncleanness, and we get the privilege and the opportunity of worshiping God. We get the opportunity, we get, the, we get that moment of encounter. Matt Redmond describes this moment like this. He says, Isaiah is broken, stunned, and shaken in the presence of God. Broken, stunned, shaken in the presence of God. But not destroyed. The presence of God is sufficient to consume every single one of us in a blink of an eye, and yet God allowed Isaiah to see this, to experience this, to hear it, to feel it, and yet, and for him to realize his own sinfulness and brokenness, and yet he did not destroy him. Why? I think it's simple. I think the Lord was at this moment, He had a, a job for Isaiah to do, a big, big calling. And basically, He was stripping him down, taking him apart in order to put him back together so that He could use him. Somebody said this, all our falls are useful if they strip us of a disastrous confidence in ourselves while not taking away a humble and saving trust in God. I don't know very many of you at all, and those of you I do, do know I don't know very well. So, we come in to church this morning, and probably none of us or very few of us know what's going on in other people's lives. But the reality is this, we all trip and fall. We all do stuff, say stuff, think stuff that is anything but pleasing to the Lord. We carry brokenness. We carry the scars of what others have said to us, what, what we've experienced in our lives. And that's part of, of the person that we are, the person that comes into church. And all those things are useful if they strip us of that what that writer calls a disastrous confidence in ourselves and throw us back on the mercy of God. 
So Isaiah realizes who he is. And this morning, I think there's a, a very strong sense in which as we, we get a vision of who God is, it reminds us of who we are in comparison to Him. Now, if it were just left there, even though God didn't choose to wipe Isaiah out, if it was just left there, it would be a pretty hopeless story. But it isn't left there because after the realization comes the cleansing, verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim, one of these strange creatures, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. See, Isaiah's confession, which takes him to a place of cleansing, sets him apart. It sets him apart in the sense that he's willing to acknowledge his state. I remember many years ago um, being in uh, Uganda and uh, was there for three or four weeks. And as part of that trip, uh, myself and a friend who was traveling with me, we stayed with uh, an Australian missionary couple. It was a great time. They were uh, fantastic people, real pioneer missionary types. And I remember um, in some parts of, of um, Uganda, probably in, uh, there's not that, you know, the church is growing there, but probably one of the main churches would be the Anglican church. So we, obviously we were going there because myself and, and the guy who was with me, we were training for ministry at the time. And this couple chose to worship there every Sunday. And again, there was different styles of worship. There was a very lively service. There was a more reflective service. And I remember coming out of one of the services, and this guy, Alan, saying to me in his Aussie accent, which I won't try to uh, replicate this morning, saying to me, God, you Anglicans are really hard on yourselves. You're always talking about being miserable sinners and about uh, not being worthy enough. I said, yeah, but don't leave it there. What's the rest of it? It's, it's, it's relying on God's mercy. It's experiencing God's grace. And I think we have to have a balance of both. That realizing, and maybe this is for those of us who've been walking the road of discipleship um, a long time. I said uh, earlier on that I came to faith as a 15-year-old whilst at Lurgan College. Unfortunately, that's 39 years ago this month. Uh, so, if you do the maths, you'll work out what age I am. Um, but as I go on in my Christian life, I realize more and more just how without Christ I am nothing but unworthy. I am nothing but unworthy. The seraph takes the coal from the altar. The altar is a symbol, if you like, of God's provision. And one of the things um, that, that struck me um, the couple of Sundays ago we were here um, I didn't realize on, up until that point that you shared communion as a church family every Sunday. And I kind of went away and reflected on that because, you know, I know that there are lots of other denominations that do that. We actually don't. Now, you can, well, we do. You can get, if you want to go to communion, you can in Shankill every Sunday at nine o'clock. Um, but in our main services, we tend to share communion once a month. And it kind of got me thinking a little bit and just reflecting and just on the importance of what we do, whether we do it in an informal way, the way you do it, or whether we do it in a more formal way, 
maybe the way we would do that normally. But you know, what, whether we do it informally or whether we do it formally, we're still doing the same thing. And that is a, a reminder this morning of God's provision. When you and I came forward and took that little piece of cracker and that little glass of juice as a reminder of Jesus' body and blood, that's the, that's the 2019 equivalent, in a sense, of us having the live coal touch our lips. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying every time you take communion, you receive forgiveness, but it's the reminder of God's provision on the altar that is Calvary. Isaiah is cleansed not by his own efforts, but by the grace of God, and so are we. We have another old prayer that says, we're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy. And we've experienced that mercy afresh this morning. The grace of God applied to your life and mine, that cleansing. So, Isaiah has a vision. He realizes exactly who he is before a holy God. Then he receives the cleansing that comes only from God. And lastly, he's commissioned. He's commissioned for what God has for him. And this is the outworking of his vision. Yes, he felt ruined. He felt undone. But there was more to it than that. He was acutely aware of his own sin. But God put him back together in order to commission him. Because Isaiah's task was no easy one. I only read up to verse 8. If you go on into verse 9, the Lord said, "'Go and tell this people, be ever hearing and never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving. What would it be like to be called to go to a people who will never listen to a word you say and who will never understand a word you say?' And let's not think that's just for Isaiah's day. This is one of the most quoted Old Testament Scriptures in the New Testament. Because Jesus often said to his listeners, you're like those people that Isaiah spoke of. You hear, but you don't understand. You see, but you don't perceive. And that's the world that we live in. The world doesn't actually, around us, doesn't actually get what we're talking about a lot of the time. And it has to come by revelation from the Holy Spirit. God put him back together in order to send them out. So, this morning, as we worshipped, we had that real sense, not just in the words of the songs, but I think in a real experiential way, we had that sense of having a vision of God. We experienced His presence. I could hear that sense of God's presence in the praise of His people. Now, I was looking at from the front row, you can only really see the band unless you turn around and have a good old gawk at what's going on behind you. My wife always gives off to me when I do that, so I tend not to. But maybe you were looking around, you can see that sense of God's presence in the faces of those around you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. On the 20th of January, 2019, I saw the Lord. Just stick another date in there. It doesn't have to be, you know, 
it needs to be today, but it also needs to be the next time and the next time and the next time. It's not a one-off experience. So how might we finally respond to what God has been saying? Isaiah has an encounter with God that affirms him, that equips him, and ascends him. Ascends him. Now, that encounter, first and foremost, gives him a realization of who he is. But then it affirms who he is in, 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 under God. It equips him and sends him out. Remember many years ago, some of you who are a bit older like me will remember um, a Scottish guy. He was a songwriter, worship leader called Ian White. Um, probably best known for selling a lot of the Psalms to music, probably way back in the 1980s. But I remember Ian White wrote a song on one occasion called Encounter. And there was a line from that song that has never left me. An encounter with you, our Creator God, we don't want to leave until we know we are changed. We don't want to leave until we know we are changed. And, you know, when I when I'm leading a service or preaching in Shankill, whether it's down in, in the big church or down in Jethro, that's always my prayer, that our folks will walk out of church different from when they came in because they have met with the living God. And that's my prayer for us here this morning, that we would have a big vision of God, that we would have a deep awareness of our own sense, a profound experience of God's grace, and then in response to all of those things, a willingness to spend and to be spent in the service of God wherever He might call us. Likely, quite a number of you are serving within the life and ministry and witness of this church family. If you're not, God might be calling to you too. He may be calling some of us to go beyond that whether in our own province or whether further afield. But you know, this sense of encountering God is not for us to stroke our spiritual egos, nor is it about us simply being um, affirmed and confirmed in God's favor, God's love, and God's grace upon us. So, that's at the heart of it. Out of that must come a response and a, and a commissioning from the Lord to serve Him in the world around us. So, as we, as we draw this to, to a conclusion, can I encourage you as we've met with the Lord this morning, yes, to be aware of, of who we are of ourselves, but not to despair about that to realize it, yes, but not to despair, and to take the cleansing that we've been, in a sense, affirmed in and refreshed in this morning by our worship, by receiving communion, just by that sense of being together in God's presence, and to, in these last moments, to say to the Lord, Lord, the Lord's saying, who, who will I send to that person? Who will I send into that situation? Who will go for us to that street or to that part of town or to that country? Somewhere beyond. It's my prayer for you 
and for me, that we would be able to say with Isaiah, Lord, here am I, not send somebody else, but here am I, send me, and to be willing, be willing to pray that prayer. Because the Lord often just wants us to be willing. He maybe just wants us to be willing to step forward. He may not ultimately ask us to do that thing, but often He tests our hearts to see, are we willing to give it all to Him? Can we pray together? Lord, thank You for Your servant Isaiah thousands of years ago, thousands of years ago who experienced the majesty, the glory, the power, the intensity, and the overwhelming sense of Your presence. So much so, Lord, that He was ruined, He was undone, and yet in Your grace and mercy, You touched Him, You restored Him, and You sent Him. So, Lord, if we're here this morning and we've experienced Your presence and we feel broken, we feel inadequate, may we, before we leave this building, know something of Your mercy. And, Lord, may those of us who have experienced Your mercy, whether that be a recent thing or over many years, may we be affirmed and confirmed and refreshed in that this morning and in how You've called us to serve. Send us out, Lord, in the power of Your Spirit to live and work to Your praise and Your glory. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.